on this episode of AV Week, we get relationship advice about our IT partners, why your control system interface should be a singular, and whatever happened to Microsoft Hub's promises. That and more on this episode of AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 370. Help me help you. Recorded September 28, 2018. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. And by HD Base T. And welcome everybody to AV Week, your source for AV news, integration news, and information. I'm your host today, George Tucker. Glad to have you with us. Today, we have a really great set of people. Not that we don't have great people all the time, but a really good panel today. Uh, they are in order. It's Chris Fitzsimmons. He is product manager at Biamp. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Nice to be here. All right. It's been a while, at least for you and me. But yeah. uh, and uh, also, Luke Jordan. He is from Electroacoustics. Good to see you, sir. Good to, have you, uh, good to be back. Thanks for having me. All right. And of course, least, last but not least, Marco Duai. She is editor-at-large, AV Technology Magazine. Good to see you. Hey, everyone. Good to see you, too. Let's all, right. all just together swirl our eyes with power before we begin. Swirl our eyes with power, yes. The offline conversation comes into the recording. Very cool. Uh, Marco, though, before we start, I mean, you're in New York. You're obviously yes. in a hotel, a hotel bar lobby, as a yep. good journalist should be. <laughs> What are you doing in New York? So yesterday was wonderful. We had our AVIT Leadership Summit and also uh, co-located with the SCN Think Tank. And there were about 120 people in attendance. And, you know, as we become more digitally entrenched um, with a variety of media sources and conversations happening, and I do apologize about the sound. Hopefully I'm coming in clearly. Um, fine. I think we need a you know nice buy-amp um, pickup system here that <laughs> I can just you know can automatically configure to wherever I am. It's just going to be the new auto tracking feature that buy-amp comes out with, um, the auto Margo tracking. But the the summit is great because I don't know the more virtual we become as we are here, but when you can meet up in live real time, it's it's great. I mean, you can have long conversations. You can. Um, see different perspectives and have a richer experience and exchange of ideas. And that's what we're really trying to do with ABT is just build community among technology managers and also just try to create a forum for uh, their pain points, their friction points, uh, where we can offer editorial that is just more of value. And that's why I really enjoy our live events. And Chris has been a part of them, which is great. If I'm not mistaken, his last panel was called Networking Nightmares, which I appreciated very much. Um, although I lobbied for waking terrors or, you know, night terrors. Yeah, I don't know. I, they, yeah. they, they definitely give me nightmares rather than waking terrors. I'm usually okay with them when they're actually yeah. happening. It's the, it's the thinking about them and the losing sleep over them beforehand that's, that's really the problem. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was well, that, great. 
That's that really cool. All day yesterday, and that's nice to be on the other side of that. So very fun. cool, very cool. All right. Well, let's, without further ado, I've probably given Tim some heart palpitations that we've started this way, but that's okay. Our first story comes from Sounded Communications Magazine: Relationship Advice for AV Practitioners. Now, no, this is not an agony column for the AV set. Uh, it really is about how to woo your IT department. And hint, <laughs> flowers really won't do it, at least not in the beginning. Uh, in, in particular, this talks about Avix's recommended practices for security and networked AV systems. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you since uh, Margot said one of your last talks was about this kind of stuff. The article goes on to talk about, you know, communicating at the same level with our friends in the IT department. My first thing is, do we still really have that big of a communication gap with the IT department? Yes. <laughs> I know I shouldn't give one one answer, but yes. yeah, and I shouldn't um, ask yes or no questions. So there you go. I, it's kind of like the old joke used to be, or the joke, the line when I was editing and way back was, um, you know, learn to speak IT, right? That was this kind of the hook that editors and journalists would would use to kind of write this kind of article, and it's still true. It's still necessary, and it's just like learning French or German or Spanish, right? You can learn enough to find your way out of being lost, but that doesn't mean you're fluent. And really, if you want to have a good relationship with a French or German person, then you can't just say, how do I get to the bus stop? And can I have five beers, please? You've got to be able to say, you've got to be able to like empathize and talk about their cultural issues. And if you want to have a, that kind of um, sympathetic relationship with someone, you've got to be able to do more than just make yourself understood. And so I think that it is really, really important, not just to know what the words are, but to know what they mean and how to use them. It's all very well throwing buzzwords and, and knowing what the acronyms stand for and knowing that 802.1x is a thing. But you can you can get yourself in more trouble than not by throwing a bunch of words around that you don't really understand. Um, and so, yes, it's great to kind of um, know the jargon. That's step one. But step two, step three, step four, and step five is understand it and understand what it means and why they care about it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really, really important that AV guys understand their limitations because that's actually much more useful is to be honest and say, I'm out of my depth. I'm going to go talk to the guy that knows. Um, or can we talk about this? Help me understand. And I do that a lot as a product manager, right? I have a responsibility at Biomp for the kind of security status of our product line. It's one of my hats and I need to because I'm kind of losing the hair now. But um, it, it's about knowing what you don't know and knowing where to go to find out what you don't know and, and then applying that. It's not just, hey, yeah, I speak IT now and I know what a network is and I know what IGMP is. It's not enough. It's not good enough. And in some ways, it's um, potentially dangerous, right? You can get yourself in a bunch of trouble if you think you know what a foreign language is and then you say some word that some guy taught you that actually is a swear word. It's the same kind of problem. <laughs> well, Mar Margo, let me, let, me, let me throw that yeah. to you then because – you know, Chris says it's sort of we're walking around sometimes like first year French students thinking we know the mastery of the language, you know, probably trying to quote Proust or something and, and, and go from there. Um, but sometimes we feel like, or at least the AV centric people will say, really feels more like they're stiff arming us. Is this battle in communication also partly IT saying, oh, I have power, I have the guy power swirl? So I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to do it my way. Well, from what I observe and, you know, from my perch as a editor of, of a tech manager publication, what I find really interesting is that 
it really should be instead of AV IT convergence, I think in a lot of ways it should be IT AV convergence because I think if you just look at the scale of the IT industry and the scale of the AV industry, and by no means am I demoting the power, the eye-swirling power of AV, the uniqueness and charisma and talent of AV. It's just that um, I think it's almost imperative on the AV manager or AV director or stakeholder to not necessarily, I'm going to walk it back just a little bit, just know the, uh, the ecosystem in which we're operating. So um, if a tech manager, a tech manager who was in our summit yesterday, a phenomenal woman from the Wentworth Institute in the center of Boston, it's a higher education institution devoted to technological innovation. But they have a very small AV team within the IT department. And so when she needs static IP addresses, she just literally looks over at the guy at the next desk and says, hey, you know, hook me up. So that's an ideal situation because they're absolutely one. But in a lot of the folks that I interview and that we do storytelling with, they are within that larger IT um, infrastructure and or maybe it's the CFO or an IT uh, let's say stakeholder that's signing the checks and you have to make yourself bulletproof if you want a new AV software solution or you want, you know, the buy-in to Serial Lux that can run AVB um, video on a network kind of thing. And so sometimes I, I think it's important to know the language, but also just understand their needs and listen to their needs as well so that you can make your needs uh, align with exactly the requirements. And so just understanding each other, I don't know if, all the AV managers that I interview really want to learn all the granularities of IT. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Like this, the woman yesterday, Johanna, she was great. I mean, she, she loves really being a cross trained person. Like AV is part of IT in her world. So that's great. But then there's some that like, no, I care about, I don't know, frequency and I'm more of an audio gal or who knows what, but maybe I'd, it depends. It's a case-by-case -case basis, but I think it's just really important to have that framework of where are we operating within. And so letting that um, help inform our decision-making. But I love that Avixa has got, done this and it's created a best practice, which I think is really, really stellar that you can just go, you know, this URL, which is included in the link and find find um, these security best practices, which is fantastic. And the, document, the document's really good. I actually yeah, it's presented really good. the AV user group. Well, I didn't present to it to them, but I attended the AV user group and presented around security last week. Um, and it's, you know, it's not aimed at those guys. Those are like top echelon blue chip yeah. AV IT guys. They, they kind of write some of the security policies that don't need to be told, but they were nice. impressed that Avixer is kind of taking on this role of we need security 101. We need to understand, yes. we know how to write a risk register. Uh, yes. Like, how do you go about itemizing risks and classifying them and deciding whether they're big risk, little risks, high risk? You know, it's it's a whole other language of hazard management that we've never really, as an AV industry, never really thought about. We just about figured out how to describe our products in ways that IT guys <laughs> understand. Like, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a video encoder. What does that mean? Well, it does this and this and this over this port and this thing. Oh, okay. Now I understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now it's like, okay, well, what's a risk? How do I describe a risk? What are its characteristics? And then, you know, it's more new news, more new learning. For and as software defined ecosystems become more achievable, and life cycles change and upgrades continue to happen within, I don't know, more software, like if, in a more IT kind of way. I think the auditing, the provisioning 
are going to become more and more and more and more important. So I, I agree that it's, I love it. I think it's great to bring everyone into the same conversation and work to our strengths. Uh, it depends. I don't know. I mean, more, I just interviewed somebody who's an, a network native, let's say. She's on the cover of our AV technology November, or sorry, October edition. She's only known network-based AV. She's, her first job was at the London Olympics, working the cameras, doing sound. She's never known anything but mm -hmm. a, a network-based system. So, I mean, it's changing too. And it's, I could see it from, from a variety of angles. She's like one of those people that never had a cell phone. Well, only had yeah, cell only phone. had a cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> hasn't lived before <laughs> yeah. we had cell phones. The pain. So, so I want to bring I want to bring Luke into this. He's been waiting patiently. Um, we've been gabbing it up. So Luke, uh, on two levels here, uh, Margot mentioned the basically which spoils down to the learning how to help me help you scenario. <laughs> um, but on the bigger question, you know, CTS when it was revised uh, for the test made a big deal about client relationships, especially for younger or beginning techs, to be aware of what their clients' needs are, not just being quiet and understanding that it's a place of business, but often even in the AV and the residential side saying, you know, take off your shoes or wear booties. I think this may actually work within that as well, right? I mean, am I wrong in saying that on the grander scale, we need to basically instill more of a complementary sort of zeitgeist in the integration side of the industry, especially commercial? It, it really depends on the, the client. Um, mm. So I, I met with a corporate client the other day who, when I started asking about security and kind of what their expectation was, they said, I don't know. I'm going to have to punt that to my managed services provider. They had no understanding of their own IT infrastructure and they had no expectations. And so as the AV integrator, I was driving the IT conversation with their corporate IT department, which is kind of backwards um, but at the same time I'm now challenging them on their turf um, to almost be better and so the, the the value that I'm bringing is uh, you know I don't we don't do managed services we we do networked AV um, there is a difference I think um, and so we're, we're, we're working hand-in-hand -hand with their 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 data infrastructure but we're not doing that that part for them but now if if they if they work with me i'm going to force both of us to be better i'm raising the bar for the av and the it and the areas that that converge and work together and then as we get into a relationship uh we can build a secure network that we're communicating uh and presenting over and so now we're just in this great symbiotic relationship uh, that's going to increase my knowledge and my skill because I'm going to have to stay ahead of the services and uh, products that I'm selling. But then they're also going to be um, not less at risk. They will have better risk management and awareness uh, of their IT systems and who's, who's being on there. Um, you know, my, my hope is that I can challenge them to not just say, well, let me bring in my third party you know, I'm coming in for AV and, and talk to this guy for, for our managed services and IT. And at that, at that point, they don't own anything. And so by challenging them, maybe they still need me to talk to, to their, their guy. Um, but they'll have that information. They'll have that knowledge more at hand because they realize that it's a weakness. Uh, even just the fact that they don't have a strategy or a plan that they can easily recite. So uh, I think 
uh, it's just about a marriage of of the AV and the IT, and I don't know who comes first. I think it depends on the situation. I also work with other universities where they say IT is separate. You can't have any wireless access points. We don't want anything on our network. Everything is a closed loop AV network um, that communicates within itself, and there will be no bleed over because of, of university bylaws and policies that I couldn't change if I wanted to. So it, it's just kind of case by case, and as an integrator, we have to know enough to recognize where we're at, when it's good to push back, and when it's just time to work within the parameters we're given. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I like that you also brought up the marriage uh, metaphor here to tie up the little metaphor we started off with in the beginning of an agony column. Uh, in relation to that, though, in a marriage, you also need to know how to interface with each other. So that brings us to <clears throat> our next story from Commercial Integrator. Three reasons to put just one, yes, one interface in your control system design. Now, one would think this is kind of an obvious statement, but uh, the author goes on to <clears throat> talk about how keeping happy clients and profits higher by providing a standard interface. All right, so Chris, start with you on this one again. Well, I know that this is what we want to offer and our clients often say that's what they want. It's not always the reality now, is it? No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing the monosyllables again. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I just want to start by saying I can't believe they only found three reasons. Yeah. <laughs> there are like 6,948 reasons to do this. Um, it's really tough, right? But it's funny because it comes back to what um, it comes back to integration, right? The whole deal with trying to have only one interface, the, more, the fewer interfaces you have, the more integration that has to go on behind the scenes. If you literally want to have one let's call it family of GUIs because one GUI is probably not going to cut it, but one family of design to control multiple services and systems. That's a bunch of work in the back end to make that happen. It's actually a really challenging, you know, the, the worst case is I've got a keypad dialer over here. I've got a touch panel over here. I've got some light switch on the wall and I've got, you know, whatever else, you know, fan control or HVAC in the meeting room. Even just getting those things in one place is hard ish, right? It's got easier. We've got better and better at Crestron and all the other guys in, in control land have done a great job of giving us tools there. But if you're going to try and make that consistent throughout a building, not just in one meeting room, you, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a lot of work, but that's really the value that AV integrators bring, right? It was the, it was, you know, back in the day when it was all analog and we were figuring out how to get different kinds of cables to all make sense as a system. It's the same kind of work. It's how do I, how do I take these disparate systems with disparate kinds of characteristics that I have to control and make them make sense to some guy, some well, you know, Paddy in accounting who wants to come and sit down and have a, uh, you know, a, a quick productive meeting rather than fighting with which button to press. Yeah. Well, so let me ask a Luke, I'm going to throw this to you. Let me ask a, what seems like a blatantly obvious question, but I, I think there's more nuance to it is that in the real world, you know, what form does this universal and, utopian interface take. The article goes on to, to, to mention a single login. Are we talking only web-based interfaces here? How are we managing that universal utopian interface? Well, that's the joy of living in the current century we do is there's options. So um, Barco Overture is a network-based control solution. Um, Crestron has hardware and software-based control systems. Uh, there's just tons of different options, and there's pros and cons with all of them. Uh, but when you get to actually 
talking to analog devices, there are network I.O. interfaces for everything. We can do relays and I.R. and, and dry contact, everything off of just a network port. Uh, or we could have a central hub that runs an entire floor, and then we just trunk everything together and all the floors communicate. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's an infinitely scalable. Um, it does get tricky. Um, I'm not a programmer. I'm not a designer. I'm in sales. But my understanding is if, if one manufacturer makes everything, it's designed to talk well amongst itself, but you kind of run the risk of because they do everything, they might not be the best at doing that specific activity. But then when you have, you know, say 15 different manufacturers controlling the 15 different parts of your building from AV to lighting to HVAC and energy automation and, and big data collection, um, you lose your effectiveness in being able to actually get what you want to happen done. You go from uh, telling it what needs to happen to just recalling a preset in someone else's processor, and now you're a slave to that processor's programming and how well that was done, but it's also easier on your integrator to tie it all together that way. So it comes down to you know, the, the vendor options, the ease of programming, and then your, your cost. Um, and are you willing to bundle everything together or sub it out individually? And then your project management labor and difficulty goes up. Uh, so I th I'd say it's definitely something that has to be thought out, well-planned, and, and maybe it's even having an owner's rep or a consultant involved who has kind of a, a broader horizon level view of who all the, the trades involved are and what the options to tie all that together is. But um, we have, there's options and you're not just forced into one corner now. Okay. So Margo, being what we said here and you having that view of seeing the disparate dealers and everyone talking to each other, the, the, you know, you have an insight with the manufacturers, with the integrators, us, is there any possibility that this utopian ideal, and I don't say that mockingly, I, I mean that utopian ideal of a single interface, is, is there any chance that it could stymie innovation, that we're stuck in one? That's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, let's look at the, the consumer <clears throat> model in a lot of ways. You know, I can, with this, do have my own consumer AV over IP experience with, with uh, you know, Netflix, for example, on a very small level. But also I can check in my home, even though I'm states away from my home in Massachusetts, I could look and see what the temperature is <laughs> via my, you know, Mitsubishi mini split, which I have connected through my, you know, Wi-Fi. So I think that there is an innovation that's expected um, at the current moment because it's permeated our entire lives through whether you're droid-based or, you know, iOS-based. And I think that I wouldn't say the one-stop shop idea would stymie it. I think it would be something that one would hope, you know, would have an open API kind of framework or sensibility to it, which also has its pros and cons. You know, sometimes an open API doesn't do everything that you want. Um, it only goes so far, but I think it's it's sort of a broad question that would is interests me, but it would be hard to say because we don't necessarily have that. I mean, when you do have um, someone like a like a Crestron, for example, that has 
or an Extron that has an our hardware and software for pretty much everything, you know, including the Exo Cloud or Fusion, for example, for monitoring room utilization, gathering the data that you might find useful the next time you go through an RFP process or a bid, or thinking about CapEx versus you know, operational expenses. That data is incredibly important. And again, who wants to pull it from this, like from, okay, I have an Atlona system here, I have a Crestron here, I have you know, HVAC here. If I could absolutely have that aggregated, it's more expedient. Um, and then maybe I can spend more time figuring out what story yes, the data is telling me if it's just from one yes, ecosystem. I'm sorry again about the noise. Hopefully you can still hear me. Um, but I think it's, since we don't have it yet, and it's not quite the model yet, um, it's, it's still something that I think is interesting. But I, I, I would love to see that in place. And I think that we have people striving for that. I mean, the Lona OmniStream is crushed on new cloud-based solutions. Um, and, but I guess the peripheral nature and the like ways that we're still very proprietary in the AV industry kind of is very much of that barrier to, to that adoption at this point. I mean, you have some open source moves by like the SRT Alliance and things like that, ABB, of course. But I still think um, it's too early to tell um, about innovation um, and where that could go. But I'm excited by it and I would love to see it. All right. Well, writing uh, on your idea that some innovation may be in question here, a questionable innovation from our friends at Ars Technica, Surface Hub 2 splits into two. This is an article from our folks at Ars Technica about how the Surface Hub 2 may not be coming with everything it promised, but it promises a lot. And as we know, the Surface Hub has been an enigma in the AV integration space. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Luke, I'm going to start with you. It, the, the surface has been an enigma in this space. It, it hasn't always worked out despite its potential. Why do you think that is? <laughs> Long pause. Yeah. Um, I think it's just one of those things where it, it tries to do so much on its own, it almost doesn't want to play well with others. And in AV, we're looking at everything that's going on inside and outside of the room. And it's such a self-contained all-in-one piece, or it tries to be, that you're really just not sure how you play with it. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of all I got on that. <laughs> that's, that's all right. That's all right. Chris, yes, Chris? Sorry. Yeah, so I got a little insight on this. I think that a lot of people mistake Microsoft Surface as some kind of uh, – well, the Surface Hub as like their their strategy for making money, and really all Microsoft wants to do is sell you O three six five licenses and um, and Skype for Business licenses and Skype and so the Surface Hub is almost a proof of concept. Hmm. It's hey, look at this. This is what you can do with all our stuff. And I think what they expected to happen was that a bazillion OEMs out there would make Surface Hub like things, right? because it's so expensive and so complex, it's actually really difficult to make one that performs as well as it does. But if you go look at what else they did, like with the, with the, the little tabletop thing, I can't remember what it's called right now. Right, right, right. The, the Skype room system stuff, a bunch of other people have actually made their spin on that, right? There's a Logitech one, there's a Polycom one, there's a Crestron one, there's a whatever else one. And I, I think they kind of expected or hoped that that's what would happen with these, with the Surface Hub. 
And if you go look at um, NEC, they've got a similar kind of thing. Cisco has a similar kind of thing. Obviously, that's a competitor, but I don't think they had planned for it to be the only thing of its type. Right. Okay. Well, so, so I think that, that aside to why what they've done yeah. with two, which I think is, it's it's symptomatic of a, of the challenges they've had bringing it to market. Right. They got to bring something to market. They announced it, and now they're like, oh, okay, now we need to really bring this to market, and we're going to have to make some compromises. But then they did a kind of a smart thing, which is to put this module in the back because the problem with the display in a meeting room is it has a life expectancy of three years. Mm. Anyone want to spend fifty thousand dollars on something that's going to last three years? No. So what do we do about that? We need to upgrade the hardware. We need a, a way to kind of switch out some of it and keep some investment. So maybe the modularization of the guts in the back is a is a smart play. I don't know. Well, Margo, I'm going to let you have the last word on this. Um, in the comments of this article, a number of people chatted and railed about what they called architect-centric tech, which is to say that they make a pretty concept, but the translation into a useful reality didn't always come through. Do we, is, is Surface Hub sort of like Chris is almost saying here? Is that what really what's happening here? Well, it's going to take another 20 years for me to fully get over Microsoft Bob. So <laughs> I don't, they have so much make good to do with me personally, if you're oh. listening Microsoft. Um, okay, it's about the user experience. I mean, I, I didn't read the comments. I never read the comments, but like, I like the look of this. I like it's bezel-free. I like the specs. It looks great. But what's the interface like? I mean, you could Google Jamboard, Cisco Spark. Everybody's trying to get their ecosystem. I totally agree with Chris. I think it's almost like a proof of concept, but it's also like, okay, let's have the, you know, we have the Microsoft Surface. We have, three, we have licensing. It's like these are kind of other ways of just fully permeating um, a, a Microsoft space or a Microsoft campus or something like that. So but it, I think it really comes down to the intuitive interface. I love the modularity. I think that's almost like I see AV as a service as a really interesting model in some regards. I see the pros and cons absolutely of that. But I, some, some of the folks that I speak with on a weekly basis are almost more interested in leasing. Like leasing. If they could lease hmm. restaurant equipment, they would do it. So this is uh, answering that need before it even arrives. I think that's actually really smart. Um, it still doesn't heal the, the visual wounds I have from Microsoft Bob, but it's getting me closer. No, but I mean, for real, I think it's... The scars. <laughs> the scars. But I think it, it is about how, intu how intuitive it is. It's the interface. I do dig the modularity for sure, but um, I, I think it's yet to be determined. It doesn't feel almost like an AV product. I mean, not in our little weird, weird and wonderful little, you know, fantasy land that we live in, but... I think it's certainly, I'd like to see the numbers on it and I want to see the distribution strategy because I'm intrigued by that too. I've just realized that it reminds me of something from the Wayback Machine. There's portrait digital screens. Anybody remember Polyvision Thunder? Oh, okay, well with that, we're going to end on a bad note. Oh my gosh, wanna, your eyes are swirling with power. I want to thank my guest for an entertaining half hour of tech talk here and conversation. Uh, first of all, Chris Fitzsimmons from Biamp. Sir, what's going on with you? What can we do? What, where can we find out more about what you're doing in Biamp? Well, you can find out what we're doing at biamp.com, as always. Um, we're at the shows. We'll be at ISE. We've just been talking about that this, this week's uh, topic. I know it seems like a terribly long way away, but it is the, officially the beginning of ISE stress. Mm -hmm. That's, that starts this morning, so that's going to be fun. But yeah, keep an eye on the website, keep an eye on our YouTube channel, all the usual places. All right, and Luke Jordan from Electric Acoustics, sir, tell us more about where they can find out about your company and what you're doing. 
you can find our company at eavi.com. We're doing lots of cool things. And you can find me on Twitter at Luke Jordan EAVI. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about two hours. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right. And Margot Duahi, and I got that name right. Look at that. Editor at Large AV Technology Magazine. Briefly, what's next for you? Um, well, just I would like to point everyone to a recent cover story of Mohamed Sagari, who is the AV, global AV engineer of Uber. That was my last cover story. And uh, it's just a really fun example of what we do at AV Technology. We profile tech managers. So that's available on avnetwork.com. You can follow all of my writing there. Thank you so much um, for this fun, wonderful Friday chat, everyone. There you go. Well, to everyone out there watching, okay, this is AV Week, part of AV Nation. AV Nation is a group of verticals on the AV industry. You can find this show and many more like it on the residential, commercial, the ITAV, and more. That's avnation.tv. Thank you for watching, and we look forward to speaking with all of you again very soon. <laughs>